Are you ever surprised or even uh, put off by the number of parties in the Bible? Uh, it's, it's amazing, really. Uh, it's, they're commanded. They are commanded. Uh, uh, Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 23, says you're supposed to take three weeks off a year to party before the Lord. That's shocking. I think that's the only thing in Leviticus I like. Uh, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, you go through uh, the Old Testament and you see Miriam uh, dancing before the Lord with all of e Israel. You see King David dancing before the Lord with all his might. And I wish I could see him because I don't know how to dance. And I look dumb when I dance, but I want to dance like David did. And then we come to the New Testament and we see these parables of Jesus about a wedding feast that nobody wants to come to. About uh, uh, virgins who didn't keep their oil, enough oil in their lamp, and so they were kicked out of the party and weren't allowed to come. The, the saddest parable of them all, right? The, the, the parable of, of the two lost sons and, and the youngest brother, he, he comes back and he's feeling all guilt and, and ashamed and his father comes out to him and, and the brother says, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he says, nonsense, just hush that stuff. Stop it. My son is here. Put a coat on him. Bring the rain, for heaven's sakes. We're going to have a party. We're going to kill, kill the fattened calf, and we are going to feast and party. And it ends sadly, right, because his brother won't come to the party, eaten up with bitterness and anger and, and self-righteousness. He won't come in to the party. And the one that surprises me the most, because God loves parentheses, the very first thing that Jesus does, the first thing John tells us in chapter 2, right? The first sign he gives revealing his glory, he brings wine to a wedding. And John is careful about this. He tells us there are six pots. And they all hold from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus says, fill all six of them to the top. And he turns it to wine. I love math. It was the only thing I was good at in school. That is a, at a minimum 120 and at a maximum 130 gallons of wine. When someone shows up at a party with 130 gallons of wine... They are saying, we're going to party. We're going to party long and deep. We're going to, I am the party. Wherever I am, there will be joy and there will be dancing. That's what kind of Savior I'm going to be. That was the first sign to reveal His glory. And now when we turn in Revelation chapter 19 to the final sign of His glory, what do you know? It's another party. And this time, he's the groom. And this time, he invites all of us, all of us, to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Where not only will he be the groom, he will be the feast itself, and he will be the feast master with us. Will you come? Will you sit outside and be a little too self-righteous to party with these people? Will your bitterness and anger that life didn't go the way you wanted it to go keep you out?
will you come? Will you come to the party that literally ends all parties? Please stand as we read from Revelation chapter 19. You know the word of the Lord. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in his righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one but knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is Word of God. And the arm, armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. You may be seated. King of kings and Lord of lords. Here he is. This is the wedding feast of the Lamb. And we are all invited. Will you come? Will you come? I, I love it. First of all, you see that this is, uh, this is the, the prototypical wedding. This is the wedding from which all of our wedding services are based, upon which all our wedding services are based, right? Y'all have been to weddings. You know what happens. Music starts. Everybody gets seated. Everybody's ready. Then who comes out first? The groom comes out. And the groom comes out from the front, right? He comes out in the front, and he stands here to meet his bride. And then the music hits, and, and really, we should all stand for the groom. But we don't, because the bride's mother paid for it, and so we're going to stand for her. That's cool. i got no problem with that. We'll talk about that in a minute, actually. And the doors open, and everybody stands. And the bride comes, dressed in white, the righteous deeds of the saints. And, and they meet in the air, right? That's what Thessalonians says we're going to do. We're going to meet our Lord in the air. And they're joined together. And then what do they do? They go back home to live forever. And that's what's happening in Revelation. The bride, the church, us, we are going to meet Jesus in the air. And we're going to be joined together. And then we're going to go to the reception. We're going to go to the celebration. And oh, what a celebration it's going to be. It is going to be a party. It is going to be the party. Uh, I, love, I love Prince Caspian, the second Chronicle of Narnia. Because it's very interesting. If, you, if it's a Chronicles of Narnia, a children's seri uh, series of children's books by C.S. Lewis. And in the second one, this one of the less played versions, but 
it's beautiful because Aslan, the, the king, uh, the, the God figure, Jesus figure of the books, he comes to Narnia, but he doesn't go to the war. There's a war going on. He's like, ah, kids can handle that. And he goes around to everybody who's been sad. There's been a new king, and he's, and he's made things hard. And he goes around to everybody who's been sad, and he, and he whispers to them. And he brings life back to them. And he brings joy back to them. He goes to one uh, old nurse who's, who's on her deathbed. And, and she opens her eyes and she says, Oh, Aslan, I've been waiting. Is today the day I finally get to come to your country? And he whispers to her, Not yet, daughter. Today we party. And she gets out of bed for the first time and climbs up on his back. And they go, they're, they're running around and they're bringing this message of joy and redemption to everybody. And they go to a school. And you're thinking he's going to declare the school's out. Your teacher's going to love this. And uh, he looks up at the school room. And he turns all the, the mean boys, all the students into pigs. <laughs> and, he, and he tells the teacher, it's your day off, let's go. <laughs> and so the teachers get to leave school. And they all go dance and he brings Bacchus and he brings the wild boys. And they have wine and they f have food and they have a huge fire. And they dance and they celebrate all night. And in the end, in the morning, Lucy and Susan wake up. They have no idea how long they stayed out. They just wake up sleeping by the fire and... Lucy whispers, that was a party. But I think I would have been afraid to be at a party like this if Aslan hadn't been here. But he was there. You see, at the party we're going to, there's nothing to fear. There is only celebration. There will be no excesses, no hearts broken, no violence, nothing immoral. It will be just pure celebration. Because Jesus is there. Because Jesus is there. It's the wedding that he himself has already paid for. He paid for the wedding. He paid for us with his own blood. He, is, he paid the, the price, the penalty. No, you don't deserve to be there in, in many ways. But you were sinful. You rejected him. You turned away from him. You were like the lost son who had, had run away. And, and you don't deserve that. But he doesn't care. This has nothing to do with deserving. He loves you. And with his own blood, with his own body, he has paid the bride price. And he has given us eternity. He's given us the world forever. And that is what it's going to be to, to be with him. It'll be, it is the prototypical party. It is the party upon which all parties are based. And we're invited. Will you come? And you know what the best part of the party is going to be? The best, best part of the party... Is going to be the groom, the true Prince Charming. I'll never forget uh, talking to one of you dads in here when your daughters were young, and I asked you how it was raising daughters. I had four boys. I have no idea about them girls, and uh, and and he said he said, oh, you know, they just always watching Disney and dreaming of Prince Charming, and that stuff just drives me nuts. And I don't want them thinking some man's gonna solve all their problems. And I said, you're right and you're wrong. Encourage them to dream about Prince Charming. Just make sure they know his name. 
Because he's going to appear. He's going to appear on his white horse. And he is going to fix everything that's wrong. He's going to cut down the thorn branches to get to him. He's going to slay the dragon that keeps them afraid. And he's going to be their husband forever and ever. He's the true Prince Charming. And the beauty, the beauty for wit, that, that we get to enjoy, the, the joy of the wedding, is not going to be the, the revelation of the bride. It's going to be the revelation of the Prince. We get to see him. We get to see him. We get to set our eyes on the one that our soul has longed for every moment of our lives. We get to see him. The uh, theologians describe it as the beatific vision. The vision of Jesus that, that at once meets every need of our soul. It's going to meet needs that you had forgotten that you had. It's like, uh, like the first time you get a job, a real job, if you moved away and you've, you've worked for a long time. It's been a long time since you've been back to your, your true home, right? been months and months. Maybe it's Thanksgiving and you finally get two days off in a row and you, you spend them driving home. And to be honest, you had forgotten that you were missing your mom until you saw her. And you hugged her. And you realize there was just part of you that was missing. It was just missing. You hadn't even thought about it. It had been missing so long. And you're just so happy to have it back. Or it's like out working all day, and maybe for weeks, and you haven't had time to eat a real meal, and you, and you walk into the kitchen, and you smell fresh bread, and you, you just realize how hungry you were. Or it's like uh, it's a need you never even knew, you never knew you had. I had no idea that I needed, I needed to see the sunset into the Grand Canyon until I was at the eighth mile of that 10-mile hike. And the colors all started to change. And it was just a little light coming out from under the clouds. And everything was different. And everything was right. And it was beautiful. I didn't know that I needed that moment until I saw it. It's, it's, it's hauntingly beautiful. It's that moment of, of shalom. Uh, you parents have experienced it, you know, when, when those very few moments when you're able to give, you know, able to give a vacation to your kids at the beach and they complain the whole way. It was awful. And you got to the hotel finally and you were tired and you yelled at them because you were tired and you went off to your separate rooms, angry at each other. You got on Facebook to tell everybody how much fun you were having. <laughs> but the next day you got up and everybody got fed and, and your kids saw that beach for the first time and they're on the sand and they're playing and, and everybody's happy and the temperature's just right and, and nobody's sunburned yet and nobody's hungry yet. And you just experience this fleeting moment of pure joy. When everything's right, shalom. That's what happens when we see Jesus. We feel it. 
we feel it, but it's much, so much better. It's so much better because what happens to, to, at that moment when you're watching the sunset? What happens at that moment when, when, you're, when you're watching your kids and everyone's happy? There's this haunting memory, right? There's this haunting knowledge that it won't last. You know that it's not going to last. You know that you're not always going to be here. There's, there's two kinds of, of hauntings. There's one that just says, this is temporary. And there's another one that says, you don't really deserve this. Not everybody here experiences that. But if you do, if you're the person who, when everything is right, when you're having a great meal or a, a great time, uh, when, if you're the kind of person who, when you are experiencing that, you hear a voice that says, you don't deserve this. I want you to look at that voice and say, go to hell. It's not true. You are in Jesus. And in Jesus, you have earned everything that is good. In Jesus, you deserve that for eternity, not for a fleeting moment. And some of you still have Satan on your shoulder whispering, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve this. And you need to be straightforward and firm. And you tell that voice to go back to where it came from. Because you are in Christ. And Christ in you has earned that moment for eternity. And that's what is going to make the beatific vision so beautiful to you. It's not temporary. It's forever and ever. There's a, another scene in the, in the last edition of the Chronicles of Narnia when, when the children have come into Aslan's land for the first time. And he looks at them and he says, Children, you don't look as happy as I want you to be. And they all say, Well, it's usually at this time of the book, Aslan, when, when you send us back. And he says, Not this time. You're here forever. You are here with me forever. That's what makes it so beautiful. It's not temporary. What makes it so beautiful is there's no doubt. Wouldn't it be nice just to have all your doubts become sight? Oh, I long for that. Man, it's hard. I think faith is hard. Jesus knew faith was hard. Jesus said to his disciples, When I return to the earth, will there be anybody who still believes? I understand that it's hard. I mean, I think, honestly, the last words I'm probably going to whisper before I slip off into the final sleep is, I hope we're right. I mean, honestly, don't you kind of think that? And I think the first whisp the words I'm going to scream when I wake up and see his face is, yes! <laughs> it's real! It's real! It's real, and it's forever, and I can touch him. And it's, I don't have to worry about it ever again. It's the joy of, of knowing that every sac sacrifice that we've ever made will be vindicated. It was seen. Every glass of water we've given to a child will be rewarded. Every time we've ever been made fun of or rejected, we will be vindicated. The gospel will heal all of that. Every every pain every pain will be understood it's going to be healed not not that it may take a while for us to understand why God did it but when we see his face we won't doubt that he was good when we see his face we're going to know 
that he did the loving thing because someone that beautiful could only do the loving thing it's going to be good because it's real and it's permanent and it's beautiful and it brings peace and ultimately it will also be good it's going to be good because we're going to be resting I'd almost cut off some of the reasons why it was good I don't want to hurry that We're going to have rest. We're going to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're going to enjoy a a peace of soul that we haven't experienced maybe ever. It's just over. You've made it. All your burdens you can finally lay down. uh, Three of my sons became Eagle Scouts. And it was hard, and every one of them waited to the last second. And, uh, I mean, put off, you know, they had years and, and waited till the last three weeks. And uh, I'll never forget one of them, you know, the last kind of thing you have. It's, it's, a, it's a good trial for a boy to have. He had to go before all these men and present his project and have them evaluate it and, and then kind of tell them what they've seen in him over the years. And, and one of the, my boys, uh, he got, I, had, I couldn't go in, which is great. It's good for him to go by himself. And he came, in, came back and he got in the car and he just burst into tears. And he said, I had no idea how stressed I was until it was over. I think we're going to feel that. I know we're going to feel that. I had no idea how hard this was until it ended. It's going to bring that rest, the rest that Jesus promises for our souls. Ye, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. Put me, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light, and I'll give you rest for your soul. We experience a little of that now, but we'll truly experience it then. Beauty, joy, justice, security, love, acceptance, all of our needs will be filled when we see him, just because he's there. Just because he's there. And on top of that, we know that it's going to last because we have him. We have him. We're going to celebrate having him. What, what does that mean? Uh, I had a friend who grew up in, uh, in Macon, Georgia. And he told me uh, about a father there who, uh, it was a father and, and, and then an older man who was his dad, kind of would be your granddad's age. And uh, they just had this sweet, sweet relationship. And I asked him about it, or he asked him about it. And they said, well, you know, I just grew up poor. The younger man said, I, I grew, we, we grew up poor. And, um, and my dad, he had to go a long way to get a job. And these were in the days before we had a car. And um, he wouldn't get back till dark. And we were driving, we'd drive our mom crazy almost every day. And so she would send us out when it was about time. She would send us out, go meet your dad. Get out of here. And we would find him. And then we would come home with him. And when we got within sight of home, we'd start skipping and yelling, Daddy's home! Daddy's home! And the man said, you know, then I grew up and I started going on business trips. And my kids would come meet me at the car. But they were always singing a different song. They were always singing, What'd you bring me? What'd you bring me? 
And, and for the first time, when we see Jesus, our love will be pure. And we're not going to be interested in what God has to offer us. We're not going to have our list of all the other things that we need. We're just going to sing, Daddy's home. And we're going to have him. And we're going to recognize for the first time in our purity, this is what we needed. And this need is filled. And he tell, goes ahead and tells us, and he tells us, interesting, it's really interesting to me, that John tells us three times in each chapter, 19, 20, and 21, that all of this is happening in the midst of judgment. That this prince and this party is pure and it's real and this party will go on forever because there's not going to be any party poopers there. There's not going to be any party poopers there. And you need to know that. You need to know that, that, that the judgment is real. And, and I'm speaking to you as Christians. You need to know it because many of us have experienced an anger and a hurt that was so deep that it became hard for us to believe that heaven would be a good place if these people who have hurt us are going to be there. And you need to know that there will be nothing bad there. There will be no one bad there. Either that, that those people will be judged truly and righteously or they'll be so thoroughly changed that nothing bad will remain in them. There's going to be no Satan or his allies there. The dragon and the beast will be thrown away into the, the sea of fire. There will be no violence there. There's going to be no lies there, no one deceptive. There's going to be no one sexually immoral there. What does that mean? It means no one there who would, who would, use, who would use you for their own pleasure. None of those who follow Satan will be there. And that's important. It's important to know. And, and we as Christians, we have to start being a little bit more honest about that. Just a little. I had a friend in college, and her dad died. Um, I still have her. She's still a friend, but her father died. And, um, and she had just started going to, to Bible studies. She wasn't really a Christian yet. She wasn't not a Christian yet. She's clear about that. And uh, she said... Um, is my dad going to be in heaven? She kept asking that question, and people kept coming to her, oh, your dad's in a better place, your dad's in a better place. And, and she finally went to an upperclassman that she respected who was teaching her Bible study, and she looked her in, in the eyes and she said, my dad was a bad person. Is he in heaven? And, uh, and her Bible study leader looked at her and said, well, if your dad loved Jesus, he's with Jesus. And if he didn't love Jesus, he is not with Jesus. And she started crying, and, and she said the Lord started converting her at that point. She, she realized that if her dad were going to be in heaven, then there was no this thing was a joke. And we have to be a little bit more grown up about the way we talk about heaven. You, you don't, <laughs> we don't believe in justification by death. And that's the, that is the, uh, the American religion, right? Justification by death. You go to heaven because you die. No. You go to heaven because you're in Christ. 
And that's the ultimate justice that God gives us. Everyone who wants to be with God will be. And everyone who's lived their life wanting to get as far away from him as possible will be. And that death will be permanent because it is, there will be no more grace. No more grace given for repentance. It's not, and it's also, I, this is not a sermon on hell, but I, I do want you to know because there's been so terribly much false teaching about it. Heaven's not a torture, I mean, hell's not a torture chamber that God's been enjoying making. It's not, so he's not, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's going to judge everyone according to the works they did in the flesh. It's going to be fair and just. I want you to know that. It's not, throw away Dante, it's not any of that. But it's darkness and it's being separated from the Lord. And it's permanent. And that permanent is our safety. That permanent is, permanence is our safety. I want that to, to help you. It, it helps you in, in two reasons. Well, there, I have two general applications of the, of the sermon. One is, I want God's justice to help you to forgive. I want God's justice to help you to forgive. I... Uh, I want you to know, I'll quote the words of Miroslav Volf, who was a, a, a Croatian theologian who suffered greatly at the hands of, of uh, the murderers in the revolution and the civil war that went on there in, in the middle, uh, middle Europe. And he said, the only idea, the only person who could possibly, the only way you can possibly tell someone whose family members have been murdered that they need to forgive is when you absolutely assure them that God will be just. God will be just. Nobody's getting away with anything. And so you can have a forgiving heart. You don't have to worry about trying to punish somebody with your anger. God's going to forgive them or deal with them justly as they deserve. But the final application is simply this. Your groom is waiting on you. He wants to call you to himself. He wants to spend eternity with you in celebration. And some of us need to quit dating him. You know, some people do Jesus for as long as he's helpful. And then when he stops being helpful, you know, go to the next thing. You need to stop dating him and marry him. Will you come to him? Will you come to the party? Will you let your self-righteousness and your bitterness keep you out of the party? Or will you come? Please pray with me.